right, we are finally going to get back to Exodus. We left off of Exodus in November. We've been doing some other stuff, and we're finally going to get back to Exodus, and we're going to keep working through Exodus now for the next several months, maybe on into the summer. Um, and uh, we're in Exodus 7. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus 7, verses 1 to 13. And just to remind you all, the, the book of Exodus was written to the people of Israel as they were in the wilderness. It was really written to the children of the people who were slaves in Egypt and then had been rescued from Egypt. And, uh, and, and now the, 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 the people that have been rescued from Egypt have now all died out, and they're the children who are getting ready to enter the land that God had promised them. And so, so the book of Exodus is really written to, to those people to help give them context to help, under, help them understand where they came from, how they got to where they were, to help them understand who this God is that is leading them and walking with them in the wilderness, um, and uh, to help them understand how to respond to him. And so uh, just to recap really quickly, if you haven't read the book of Exodus recently, uh, it starts off with the Israelites in Egypt, living in Egypt, and they're growing and, and becoming really numerous and, and becoming such a... a, a a numerous uh, group of people in Egypt that the Pharaoh feels threatened. And so he starts thinking of ways that he can weaken them so that they don't threaten him. And, and so he, uh, he begins to, to oppress them with, with really difficult, hard labor and, and abusive labor. And then that doesn't seem to work. And so he creates a policy of killing, murdering all of the little Hebrew Israelite boys. And, uh, and in the midst of that, Moses is born and he is protected, provided for by God and ends up growing up in Pharaoh's household, in the royal household in Egypt. And, uh, and then when he's 40 years old, he comes to the aid of an Israelite and ends up killing an Egyptian and has to flee Egypt and spends 40 years out in another country, in Midian. He spends 40 years as a shepherd until God shows up and says, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. I've seen the misery of my people. I've, I've heard the groaning of my people. I'm going to send you back there to bring them out. And so the last we looked, we, we saw Moses go back, and then Moses went before Pharaoh and told Pharaoh to let the people go out into the wilderness, and, and Pharaoh was like, no, not going to do it. And he actually makes things worse for the Israelites. He starts to, to make them continue serving and working and making bricks, but not giving them straw to make them with. And so the Israelites then complain to Moses. They're like, what are you doing our lives are worse now that you said God came to rescue us. And then Moses goes to God, and he starts complaining to God and whining to God and saying, God, why, why did you even send me here? But God comes back and he says, I'm going to bring the people out. I'm going to bring the people out. And that's where we are now in chapter 7, which is the beginning of the, of the, of the next several chapters, which, which goes over the ten plagues. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the plagues, Okay. Hope you're not too disappointed. Uh, we're actually going to focus really, this, this passage right here gives us some themes that you see throughout the plagues that we're going to look at, and then we're going to skip ahead next week and look really at the final plague. Um, but uh, we're going to look at these verses here and figure out, you know, what, what is God trying to teach us about himself, who he is, and how he calls us to respond to him, to interact with him on a daily basis. So listen to God's word. I'm going to read from Exodus 7. 1 to 13. It's, in, it's printed in your order of worship. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along there. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. 
And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that, I may become, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Let's pray together. Father, we pray now that you would help us. We need your spirit to be working in us that our hearts would not be hardened, that they would be receptive to what you want to teach us, what you want to show us, how you might want to change us. So Father, we pray that you would use your word now and that you would work in us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when you uh, run into something hard, the hard thing almost always, maybe always, wins, doesn't it? When you run into something hard, the hard thing always wins. Those of you guys who have stubbed your toes know what I'm talking about. You ever stubbed your toe? Those of you guys who've, who've hit your shin against the edge of a coffee table know what I'm talking about. Or if you've walked into a door that was unexpectedly opening into your face, you know what I'm talking about. Just a little testimony. I found this out when I was nine years old. Um, I was in fourth grade, and I was playing football with my dad in the front yard. I think I've shared this with some of you guys. But I was playing football. He was throwing the ball to me as I went out. I, I I would do a pattern out in the front yard, and he'd throw the ball to me. And, uh, and so this one, one time, he's, like, he's got the ball, and I line up over on the right side of the yard, and, and he calls a post pattern, which means I'm going to run up the side and then take a diagonal cut across the yard to catch the ball after he throws it. And so he says, hike! I sprint up the right side of the, the yard. I get to the, the split fork tree that's in our yard, and I turn around it, and I cut across the yard in a diagonal pattern. My dad throws the ball. It's a really nice throw. It's out, and, out ahead of me. I don't have to slow down for it. It's a little too far out ahead of me. And so I dive for the ball. I grab it in my hands. Pretty sure I caught, caught it. It's a little hazy, as you'll find out. <laughs> but right after I catch the ball, my face collides with one of the biggest trees in our yard. I mean, the tree's like this big around, Okay. And so my, my face hits the tree. I collapse on the ground. I can only imagine how my dad is feeling at this point. He, he I'm, I'm runs over to me, I'm guessing. I'm kind of out of it at the moment. I'm rolling around kind of on the ground in a daze. My dad gets to me. My, my face has kind of like a bark, kind of a bloody bark imprint on the side of my face, and it's like swelling up and turning green and purple. And my dad grabs, you know, gets a, a cold wash rag. He puts it on there. We, he drives me to the doctor, and we find out from the doctor that I have a mild concussion. I guess when you're nine, you can only run, run so fast into a tree that it gives you a mild concussion instead of a full concussion. But uh, I found out really quickly that hard things don't give 
hard things don't budge, hard things don't move, you know. Um, it was a painful lesson for me. Memorable lesson, though. What we see in Exodus 7 and throughout the plagues on Egypt up through chapter 11 is a stubborn, hardened man. We see Pharaoh over and over and over again as he is described, pretty much after every single plague, he's described as having a heart that is hard. He's described as having a heart that is hard. And, and throughout the plague, starting with right here and, and even before this, you see this struggle, this battle going on between the hardened heart of Pharaoh and God and his power and what he wants to happen. And there's this battle that continually goes on throughout the plagues. And in the end, we all know how it ends. God triumphs. It's one instance where the hard thing does not win. Pharaoh does not withstand God's power and God's persistence and God's purpose in his plan. And I think as we look at this, as we look at this passage, as we look at the rest of the plagues, I think uh, God is trying to teach the Israelites and he's trying to teach us a few things about who he is in the midst of this battle. And he's trying to teach us something that's really important about how we can live a life that is healthy in relationship with him. Okay? So I'm going to take a look at it, just a few themes that I think come up throughout the plagues here that teach us about God and how we can respond to him. The first theme that we see here that's as clear as day, maybe the most clear theme that you see, is that the Lord's hand is all-powerful. The Lord's hand is all-powerful. In verse 4, God says to Moses that, uh, that Pharaoh's not going to listen to you and I'm going to lay my hand on Egypt. I'm going to lay my hand on Egypt and I'm going to bring the people out by great acts of judgment, right? And then in the next verse, he says, I'm going to stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. I'm going to stretch out my hand. And in other words, what God is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to stretch out my hand. I'm, I'm going to exercise my power. I'm going to do these miraculous things. I'm going to be doing wonder upon wonder, the uh, demonstrations of my power, my powerful hand to show you that, that nothing can withstand me. I have absolute power over all of creation. That's what God says here, and that what God does is he, is he does plague after plague, even here in the prelude to the plagues, when he does this miracle with the snakes, right? When he, he says, you know, Pharaoh's not going to listen, and Pharaoh's going to say, prove yourselves, down in verse 9, and, and God tells Moses to tell Aaron to throw his staff on the ground, and the staff is going to become a snake, and this is a sign that God had given Moses earlier to prove to the Israelites that he is who he said that, that God really sent him. And so Aaron throws his staff down on the ground and it becomes a snake. And then it's always disappointing. No matter how many times I read this, it's disappointing for me because then when Pharaoh calls his sorcerers and his magicians and, and they come and then they throw their staffs down on the, gr on the ground and they become snakes too, I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, I thought God was doing something really amazing here and then Pharaoh seems to just replicate it, do the same thing. And you can imagine Pharaoh's facial expression just kind of have a smirk on it. I'd be like, oh, please, I've seen that before. I've seen that before. Big deal. But then, that's not the end, right? Because it says in uh, verse 12 that Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? I, unfortunately, I, I have this vision in my head from watching The Prince of Egypt. Again, you guys have seen that. Of like, Pharaoh has these two magicians. I think it's like Steve Martin and Martin Short or something are the magicians. And, 
and they throw their staves down so it's just these two snakes that are swallowed up by one. But actually, is it, I think it's very possible that there was more than two magicians. Could there have been five? Could there have been 10? Could there have been 20? Each one throwing their staff down and becoming a snake? Can you imagine what that might have looked like? This battle royale of the snakes where the snake of Aaron just one by one eats, swallows up, chows down on every single one of those other snakes. As each progressive snake is eaten, can you imagine the the surprise, the shock, even the horror of Pharaoh, of his sorcerers? And it's an appropriate um, miracle that we see happening here. As I, I've mentioned this before in another sermon when we were looking at Exodus, we were talking about Pharaoh because um, snake, a snake was associated with, with the power of Pharaoh. It was a, a symbol of Pharaoh's power. If you can picture Pharaohs, often they would wear the headdress that looked like a cobra, right? And so Pharaoh would use a snake, a symbol of a snake, to kind of intimidate the people that, that came into his presence. And, and so what was God saying here? He's like, Pharaoh, no matter how powerful you think you are, my power swallows up your power with ease. Your power is no match for mine. As snake after snake is swallowed up. In the end, this word swallow, when it, when it talks about how Aaron's staff swallowed up their stabs, the, the word for swallow is used one more time in the book of Exodus, and it's, it's, it's used actually at the end of the plagues, after the Israelites leave, and then Pharaoh decides to chase them down. And, and Pharaoh follows them into the Red Sea, and then what it says is that the Red Sea swallows him up. Pharaoh is no match for the power of God, no matter how powerful he thinks he is. God is all-powerful, and even though Pharaoh doesn't seem to learn the lesson here, God continually, as, as, as it goes through plague after plague, God continues to demonstrate, my hand is all-powerful. There is nothing that can withstand me. He demonstrates his power over every single corner of Egyptian life, over every god of the Egyptians, even starting with the first one. I'll just touch on the first one. What's the, the first plague? Anybody know the first plague? It's, it's when, when he turns the, the Nile River to blood. From the Egyptian standpoint, the Nile River was actually looked upon as a god itself. They, they saw the Nile as this life-giving source, this deity in a sense. That, you know, all around in Egypt there's desert, but around the Nile there is fertile ground, there is life. And they looked at the Nile as something, that, as, as something of a God that, that gave them life. And what did God to their God? What did God do to their God? He turned it to blood. He turned it to a thing that produced death. A symbol of death rather than life. God, uh, one by one, and, and with all of, the, all of the, the plagues, with the frogs, with the gnats, with the flies, with the, with the livestock dying, with the hail and the boils and the locusts and the darkness. He, he, he attacks the Egyptians and he, and he says, I am sovereign over this, every single area of life. I'm sovereign over the, the life that you get from the Nile. I'm sovereign over your comfort. I'm sovereign over your economy as your livestock die. I'm sovereign over your comfort as you experience boils. I'm sovereign over even how you feel your emotions as I bring darkness and fear to the hearts of the people of Egypt. I am sovereign over it all. There is nothing that withstands my power. Nothing. We might have a hard time understanding this and relating to this because every single day of our lives we come into contact with things that withstand our ability to do things, our power, if you will. 
I mean, even just this, well, I, I've, I've uh, tried to open the, the, the cap of the, the jelly, you know, after we've used the jelly for a long time, and it's gotten really crusty on top, and I haven't been able to open it before, like no matter how hard I try. Um, just this past week, with the, with the low temperatures, I went out to try to open the, the side door on our van, and I couldn't get it open. Does anybody else have that trouble? Getting the door of your car open this week because it was so cold? I could not get it open no matter how hard I tried, so I had to leave the car, let it run for like a half an hour and warm up, and I finally was able to pull it open. But the sad thing is, once I got the door open, I couldn't keep it shut anymore. <laughs> it wouldn't shut. No matter how many times I slammed it shut, like the locking mechanism was frozen, and I couldn't shut it. And, uh, and so we couldn't even use that car. You know, I'm constantly reminded of my powerlessness. Even this week, I thought I got it shut, and then I went and picked up one of our kids, and as we're driving down the road, it just opens. <laughs> I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And I'd like stop every 20 feet and get out and just like shut it, yell at it some more. And then I got back in, and it would open again. We are powerlessness, but God is not. God is ultimate in his power and his sovereignty over all of creation, over all of creation. And he's saying to the Israelites over and over again, look, look, you don't need to worry about anything else because I am your God and I'm sovereign over it all. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to go here, even though it might make us some, some of us uncomfortable, because not only is God clearly sovereign over all creation, but he even seems to hold Pharaoh's heart in his hand, right? He holds the heart of Pharaoh in his hand. He, he says specifically, I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And then at the end of the passage, it says that, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And as you look, as, as you continue on through the rest of the plagues, you see this, this theme over and over again at the end of every plague. It says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God fa- hardened Pharaoh's heart. It also says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But what does this mean? This, uh, this, is, this is difficult to, to really understand and grab hold of, that, that God somehow is sovereign not only over everything out there, but he's sovereign over things that are in here too. He's sovereign over the heart of Pharaoh. He's sovereign over the ability of Pharaoh to respond to him. And I think that's true for all of us, that God is sovereign over even our ability to respond to him. As hard as that is to understand, as hard as that is for some of us to accept, that's why I had us read this passage from Romans 9, um, earlier in the service. Romans 9 addresses this subject and even uses Pharaoh as an example here, right? That God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart in order to display, in order to, to proclaim his name in all the world. God is sovereign not only over everything out there, he's sovereign over what's going on in here. In Romans 8 and 9, it talks about how, how God is even sovereign over our ability to come to know him and believe in him and, and, be, and be rescued by him. So it talks about you know, these, these, these big scary words like predestination. That, that those who come to know God only come to know him because he has worked in us. It's not because of our effort. It's not because of our will. It's because of his will to rescue us, to save us. So that any of us who have come to know God, all we can say is God has done it. God has done it. And all I can do is worship him for it. I mean, that's a big part of what... what and, and the tempting thing for us, the thing that makes us struggle, is like, well, well, if this is true, if God is in control of all that's going on, and even responsible for what's going on inside of me and my ability to respond to him, does that mean I'm just a robot? Does that mean I just don't have to do, worry about doing anything? 
You know, that, that seems kind of like fatalistic, you know, like uh, what's the deal with that? I don't even, I don't like that idea. But I think there's also this, this continual theme throughout scripture that not only is God sovereign over all things, even what's going on inside of us, but we are responsible for responding to him. We are responsible for the choices that we make. We are the responsible for the, 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 the decisions we make and the things that we do. We are responsible. And, and you, you even see that in the life of Pharaoh. As I said before, it talks about how God hardens his heart, but also Pharaoh is hardening his own heart as well. You see both of the things happening at once. Pharaoh wasn't just this innocent, really nice guy that God came in and said, okay, I'm going to make you wicked and evil. Pharaoh was already on his way. And that's true of all of us. That's true of all of us, that we're already on our way. It's it's easy for us, it comes natural for us to say, God, nope, I don't think I want you involved in my life. And so that's why God, the only way that we can come to know him is if he grabs a hold of us and he makes us new. And he softens our heart to come to know him. But I think also we need to make sure we pay attention to the purpose of of Romans 9 and Romans 8 and and even Exodus 7 and the plagues when it's talking about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. A lot of us, we we, we like to get off on these tangents. Thinking about, well then, does it it matter what we do? It doesn't matter who we tell tell about Jesus? Things like that. But really the purpose of Romans 8 and Romans 9 is to, is, to, is to give people who have come to know God security and comfort and peace. At the end of Romans 8, you have these incredible promises that, that, that all things work together for the good of those who have been called by God, those who love him. And these promises says nothing will separate you from the love of God. If God is not in control of everything, then those promises are meaningless. You realize that? If, if, if there are some things in this world that God is not sovereign over, then I can't be sure that he's going to work everything out for my good. I can't hold on to that promise and, and have real peace and security from it. If, 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 if God is not, you know, the one working in me to, to keep me and, and, and hold on to me, then, then the promise that nothing will separate me from his love is is really not true because I can decide at some point to separate myself from his love, can I? That's what the, this idea of God's sovereignty and predestination and election are, are really help us to, to see is to have security, to say, God has me. And I think that's what God is saying even to the Israelites as he talks about hardening Pharaoh's heart. He's saying, I have you guys. No matter how ugly it looks, no matter how stubborn Pharaoh is, I'm, I'm sovereign here. No matter how ugly your lives might look, no matter how scary your lives like, might look, I've got you. I've got you. I'm sovereign over it all. And I've got a plan. See, God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart has everything to do with his plan. His plan is that all will know. That all will know. Some people might ask, why does God do Pharaoh like this? You know, if God's hardening Pharaoh's heart... Why does, why does he drag him through ten plagues? You know, why, why doesn't he just skip to the last plague and, and get it over with? Why make everybody suffer so much in Egypt? Why put Pharaoh through so much? Why put the people of Egypt through so much? Why do this? And he says it right here in verse 5. He says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And again, if, 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 that, that passage from Romans 9, he says, 
to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be, be, be proclaimed in all the earth. This is what God is up to here. This is one of the, the primary things God is up to, is, to is, is that his name would be proclaimed, that people would see how great he is, that the Egyptians would see how great he is, that the entire world would see how great he is, how glorious he is. That is, as you read through the Bible, that is one of God's primary objectives, is that all would see how glorious he is. And for some of us, we might be like, well, that's kind of self-centered. That's kind of self-centered because, of, you know, in my life as I run into people, when they tend to like talk themselves up or want, want everybody to know how great they are, I, I get really annoyed. That's really arrogant, isn't it? But the difference is that uh, we are not great and God is ultimate in greatness. For him not to point everybody to his greatness is, first of all, to, to, to live a lie. But secondly, we were created to to gaze upon him, to focus upon him, to praise him for his greatness. That's why we were created. And so for God to point us to his greatness, he's doing us a favor. Because as we look at the greatness of God, as we look at how glorious he is, that is what will bring us joy. That will fill us in a way that nothing else will. That's why it's so important to come and worship on Sunday mornings. That's why it's so important to make worship a part of your daily life, to, to remind yourself that, that, that God is great and to, to pray to him and praise him and, and live your life in light of that because that is what will fill us and satisfy us like, like nothing else. I mean, you guys know this. It's just when you, when you see something great, doesn't that give you a little bit of joy? When you see something great happen, like when you see something great in creation, doesn't that fill you a little bit? When you go and you see an incredible sunset, doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that give you a little bit of happiness? When, when you see something beautiful in art, you know, a beautiful painting, or you listen to an incredible piece of music that you absolutely love, doesn't that give you some joy, some happiness? Doesn't that fill you in a sense? Today, we're going to have an opportunity to see some athletic greatness, right? Those of us who are going to watch the Super Bowl. Hopefully, it's going to be a really great game, and it's going to come down to the end of the game, and there's going to be some great offensive or defensive play that, that, that decides the game. And when we see that, those of us who care, <laughs> when we see that, it will give us a little bit of joy, a little bit of happiness. And these are all just, but these are all just kind of small little glimpses of what true greatness provides for us. And that's what God wants to do here. That's part of his plan, to, to show everybody how great he is, even to give the Egyptians an opportunity to see his greatness and to respond to him as they should. And so his plan is that all will know. And lastly, I just want to point out something about the Lord's command, that it's the Lord's command that's all that matters. The Lord's command is all that matters. It's interesting, as you read through Exodus, um, you see earlier, God sends Moses to Pharaoh, and Moses goes to Pharaoh, and God tells Moses to say something to Pharaoh, and Moses goes to Pharaoh. It doesn't really highlight this, but Moses doesn't really say exactly what God tells him to do. Moses doesn't do exactly what God tells him to do. And then, you know, things go badly, and then there's all of this complaining, all of this grumbling, all of this whining. Moses is, you know, whining and complaining, and he's like, God, why are you, why'd you send me? It's worse now than it was before. His, his heart is full of noise and, and, and anxiety and stress. But there, there's this change that goes on in Moses as, as you read. Uh, suddenly, as you get to chapter 7, and then Moses goes back to Pharaoh, 
and continually goes back to Pharaoh after every single plague, Moses has gotten really quiet. Moses has gotten really quiet. There's, there's no more of this grumbling and complaining, even though Pharaoh continually says no. Even though Pharaoh continually, he, Moses continually hits a brick wall, right, with Pharaoh. And yet, Moses has gotten quiet. He stopped complaining to God. He stopped grumbling. His, his spirit has gotten quieted, in a sense. And one of the things that you notice here, and as you go through the rest of the plagues, it's, it says it twice here, right? In verse 6, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. And then again in verse 10, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded them. And then later on, and we don't have it in the bulletin, but in verse 20, it says it again. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. And, and th- those words, even though they're not repeated throughout the plagues, that's what you continually see. God tells them to do something and they do it. God tells them to do something and they do it. They find a, a, a sense of, of peace and security uh, and, and ability to persevere in the fact that they are just, all they're worrying about now is just doing what God says. Doing what God says. Just listening to God's command and doing it. And I think what, what that points us to is, is, is that the, the healthiest way for us to, to learn to live is just listening to what God says and doing it. Obeying his commands. That brings a, a, a greater level of health in our lives. That brings a, a greater level of, of peace and quietness to our souls. If, we, if all we do is focus, instead of focusing on you know, what I want to do, instead of focusing on all these things that I'm stressed out about, just think about what does God tell me to do? I'm going to do it today. But really, at the, and when I, when I hear that, when I think about that, I, I start thinking, okay, well, I just need to start focusing on all these rules that I need to follow. I need to you know, really be a good person by doing all these things. And, and yes, there are a lot of commands and rules that God gives us to, that, that should shape our lives, but really at the heart of all of God's command, you know what he's telling us to do? He's saying, trust me. He's saying, trust me. That's the command at the heart of every single one of God's command. Trust me. Believe in me. I mean, that's what God is telling Moses to do, right? As Moses runs into the brick wall that is Pharaoh, as Moses runs into the hard-hearted Pharaoh, God says, go back, go back, go back. And for Moses to go back, what does he have to do? He has to trust God. He has to trust that God has a plan. He has to trust that God's going to work. He has to trust him. And that's at the heart of all of God's commands to us. Trust him. Believe in him. And that, that, that impacts all of the commands our ability to follow all the commands. You know, when, when God says, you know, you need, to, you need to love this person that's hard to love. You need to forgive this person that has hurt you. God is saying, trust me to take care of you. Trust me to defend you and protect you. Trust me to bring justice to your situation. When God is saying to, to be generous and to, and, to, and to let go of your things in order to, to help others who are in need or, to, or to, to, to give to his mission in the world. And we want to hold on to our things and our time and our money. God's saying, trust me. Trust me, I will provide for you. I will be enough for you. I will give you what you need. He's saying, trust me, at the bottom of every single one of his commands, he's saying, trust me. In the midst of our, of, of our, our doubt even that, that we are loved, God is saying, trust me, I sent my son. I sent my son to die for you and to pay for your sin, to pay for the, the fact that you have proven yourself hard-hearted. My son has died for you and you are loved. Believe that I am with you and that I care and that I love you. The Lord's command is all that matters. We need to trust him. We need to believe. That's all the thing that, that, that we need to focus on and worry about. 
And so we remember the, the, the purpose of all this, of all, all that, that God is writing through Moses, chapter 7, chapter 8, 9, 10, the plagues. Um, it, it gets easy to just kind of focus on this battle between Pharaoh and God. But remember, he's, he's saying all these things to the Israelites, to the, the Israelites that are in the wilderness. The Israelites in the wilderness, who, had, who they themselves have had experience with hard-heartedness, haven't they? Those of you guys who know the story of the, the, the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites, uh, m- multiple times they, are, they are, are called out for having hard hearts and not listening to God and not trusting him. And we're reminded even later in the Bible, in, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Listen. Trust him. Believe that he is big enough, that he is strong enough to care for you in the midst of whatever you're going through today. He is big enough to provide for you. He is big enough to lead you today. He is all-powerful. Trust him. Ask him to work in you that, 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 that your heart might be softened to him today. And worship him for how great he is. I mean, how many of us really, even for ourselves, is, is that the, the greatest passion of our lives, to, 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 to worship God for how great he is? But, but how many of us even care about wanting others to know how great he is? That that would be the great passion of our lives as well. Let's ask him together now that he would soften our hearts, that he would give us a, a vision for how great he is. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we, we praise you. We praise you for your sovereignty. We praise you that uh, there is nothing that can withstand your power and your plan. No matter how hard Pharaoh tries to, to stop what you are doing, no matter how hard Pharaoh's heart is, he cannot prevail. Father, we thank you that uh, you have demonstrated your power most clearly and perfectly in the work of your son, Jesus. That through Christ, you have triumphed over the hardness of our hearts. That we might draw near to you. That we might know your power for us. We pray that you would help us to believe, to trust in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we